This is the 12 Songs of Christmas, today with the Charlie Brown Christmas. My name is Alex Rawls, and 12 Songs is my pry bar into questions about how Christmas music fits into American culture. Today, I'm talking about a work as iconic in its way as Bing Crosby's White Christmas and Nat King Cole's Christmas Song, A Charlie Brown Christmas. The cartoon made its debut in 1965, and it introduced generations of children to ennui and seasonal affective disorder. It was subtly adventurous, not only in its subject matter, but as children voiced the characters, and not adults mimicking children's voices, which was standard practice at the time. Its look was also bold as it showed the influence of jazz album cover artwork, and its soundtrack was written and performed by jazz pianist Vince Guaraldi. Guaraldi's Christmas Time is Here has entered the Christmas canon as an antidote to all the forced good cheer you hear in other Christmas songs, and even if Lucy and Linus and skating don't quite say Christmas as clearly, they're instantly recognizable as well. The album is so beloved that members of the Ornaments put their other musical gigs on hold every Christmas season and play the album nightly in a venue in Nashville for the two weeks before Christmas. Jen Gunderman, Martin Linz, and James Haggerty play with other artists the rest of the year. But since 2005, they've spent the season playing the album in order with a series of guest musicians to help keep the shows fresh and loose. I found out about the ornaments earlier this year when I talked with Chuck Mead about his Christmas music for the first uh, episode in the season. He said he couldn't play Christmas shows because his drummer, Martin, was busy with the ornaments. Today, I'm talking with Martin and pianist Jen Gunderman about a Charlie Brown Christmas. After that, I'm going to return to another guest from earlier this season, Joel Dinnerstein. Joel is a professor at Tulane University here in New Orleans who has made a study of cool in America. And earlier this season, we talked about cool and uncool Christmas music. When we talked, we recorded a segment on a Charlie Brown Christmas that I didn't use at the time because the episode seemed pretty well stuffed as was. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, Jen and Martin from The Ornaments in this special conversation about a Charlie Brown Christmas. And after the nod to Vince Guaraldi that we will use to start the conversation, the music will all be from The Ornaments, from their album, A Vince Guaraldi Christmas, live at Middle Tree, recorded in 2011. This then is Jen and Martin on 12 Songs of Christmas. Thank you. 
So first off, identify yourself so that people listening know who I'm talking to. Uh, my name is Jen Gunderman, and I am the pianist in The Ornaments. And I am Martin Lins, and I am the drummer in The Ornaments. Well, that's great. And I, and who? what are The Ornaments? We're a trio, a piano trio that exists one month out of the year in December for going on 14 years now in Nashville, Um Every December, we play a series of shows where we play the Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas album live from beginning to end. And at every show, we invite different friends of ours on different instruments to come and sit in and, and stretch it out um, and uh, play with the music a little bit. I was going to say, because the album by itself is about a half hour, right? That's right, yes. <laughs> so the, the, the soloists were a way for us to help you know, also because we were starting to do them so many nights, keep it fresh, have that fourth person come in, expand the songs a little bit, the show's a little longer. We're we're having something new happen every night for the people who are coming and for us and for everyone. So it's like it's kind of like a whole win win thing as far as adding that. Have you had guests who really surprised you? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Well, there's been all kinds of, like, unexpected... There's two things that came to mind immediately uh, were when when Charlie McCoy played with us the first time, um, he just, I think, knocked all of our socks off uh, with his pure sound and spirit. And then he also wanted to do an encore of uh what was it marty that he we we charted back in the room like right before ha- have we your, i think it was a swing version of have yourself a merry little christmas yeah he was just he's just a force of nature and one of those guys where as soon as he plays anything it sounds like a hit record uh but there have been also like surprising moments where like musicians will jump on stage with us there's, there's like audience participation portions of the show where we try to like gather up an impromptu children's choir and you know sometimes children rush the stage and sometimes like well-known musicians rush the stage and so there's been like over the years a lot of really special i guess impromptu moments like that yeah um also you know it's a surprise every time in a way because you know there's there's no rehearsal with these people right oh that's true yeah and you know and it's different every time I mean, and there are certain multi-instrumentalists that we don't literally don't know what they're bringing. Like That's no true. cool. Randy Vega, Randy Vega, who plays with the Beach Boys, he shows up with a bass flute or, you know, a soprano or a tenor sax. And Jim Hoke, who's also used to be affiliated with NRBQ and stuff like that, he'll do the same. It was just, hey, he's shown up with a panpipe before a flute That's or, true. or a, like a recorder. And uh, so you never oh. really know. And we've got Roy Agee. Well, that's what I was going to say. Play with yes. Prince. He scats. He scats over skating sometimes, but not every time. So there's two shows a night. So even the yes. same person has to. We have to do it again the next. The, the, you know, a couple hours later. So even then, it's a surprise. So it's always yeah, surprising. That's, it's really that's wonderful. True. Like the first time that Roy started scatting in the middle of the song, there was a little girl who had come up front to dance. She was probably. Ah, three or four years old and Roy is a, like a big like a big big guy 
And he bent over and started like scatting, singing like right in this little girl's face. And I thought, oh my God, he's going to traumatize that child. Like he, but she just stood there like feet planted on the ground looking up, like, tell me more, big man. You know, it, it was, it was super cool. He, so I think that the people who play with us kind of understand that we welcome just self-expression right know, which is yeah. which is nice i mean like just last year uh, dan baird led the the children's oh, right. chorus yeah for uh at the end of uh oh come all you faithful they we just have like everybody sing that part because like on the record they sing it and all these little kids came up and dan baird was the choir director for it and i'm standing yes like, he organized the children <laughs> ah, ah, yeah. ah. oh that's great yeah. I would imagine that's, you know, when you have something that is as set as not just an album, but a familiar album, that that, that slight variations probably for the three of you read really big because yeah. you're, you, you yeah. know so well what's, but what is there or supposed to be there. The way, the way I've tried to approach it, and I, I'm sure each of us has our own specific way, is... I've tried to be really faithful to try to play this record, you know, within the limits of jazz because you don't want to keep, you know, soloing a soloing and fills or fills, but to try to be as close as I can to the original and just the basic fact that my own limitations are going to make, take it in a different direction. I mean, I'm not a jazz player. I mean, I try really hard, but it's not my main thing. So, yeah, it's just by the fact that we're all doing it. It, it definitely goes to different places, but for the most part, we stay pretty faithful to, to what it sounds like. It just might be longer and get weirder, that's all. Yeah, I would say that I, I'm also not primarily a jazz musician, and so my limitations definitely play a role. But I also keep the sheet music up there so that I never stray too far away from like the specific language of Vince Guaraldi's right. piano parts, because I know that the audience is really attached to certain like even voicings of chords that just like hit your heart and it specific way so i kind of keep it there to keep my eye on it just just make sure i'm not taking a lot of liberty but then we build into every song pretty much like or almost every song like places where we really go off script and okay yeah, now yeah. just like take it wherever you want to take it you, you will you know like you do you you just like loop certain sections for solos and, and let people speak the way that they want to completely however they want to and then we come back to the more scripted thing so we, for me there's pretty clear boundaries between like okay this is the part that sounds like the record and then this is the part that's really right. different okay at the, at the end of linus and lucy at the very end of the song you can hear the drummer hit the cymbal bell with a little ding always make sure that happens because that happens on the record and people know that you know it's it's a little tiny thing but it's a thing but then on Christmas time this year, we have some like Austin Hope. He he plays saw. He plays the saw on it. You know. Cool. So that's just going to completely take it in a new direction. You know, one thing I want to kind of circle back on for a moment. But both of you talked about sort of your limitations, and and I'll tell you, I think about. I mean, I'm in New Orleans, and I kind of so I have a lot of time to think about about tradition and about how songs you know, about how how people play in traditional forms today and what that kind of does and why it ends up the way it does. And the one thing I always think about is that it's not so much, you know, anybody, whether they're playing, 
you know, uh, traditional jazz or playing traditional Cajun music, you know, it's not, if they're not playing it the way it used to be played, it's not so much a limitation as the fact that they've had an entirely different musical education and an entirely different musical experience than the people who did it the first time. And in fact, it seems completely normal that if somebody approached a traditional track today, that inevitably it would come out differently because their notions about about melody and what sounds good and what follows what is informed by everything they've heard since, which in many cases is the Beatles, who who largely come after, uh, you know, largely come after, in this case, Sergeant uh, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, and that it seems like really natural that you're, you know, it's not a limitation, right. but your own education would force you or it would, would lead you to no make one, choices they that he never would have made. No one who grew up after the Beatles can play the same way as before the Beatles. I, I firmly believe that. But I think we're talking about the same thing. I think you're just being more generous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure I deserve all that. Because here's, here's what the story kind of is, like from my perspective anyway, is that, you know, Marty and I were in a band on the road and um, we were listening to the Garaldi record and um i mentioned offhandedly that i had sheet music for that stuff and we should get together and jam on it sometime because we all agreed it was the best christmas record ever made and like i'll tell you too something that i don't talk about all the time but um my father passed away on christmas morning in 2003 and so this we were in the van in 2005 i think it was and hearing the Garaldi music was like the first time I could hear anything Christmas related and not just like sink, like just sink. And so it caught my attention. I was like, Oh, this music is okay. This isn't going to like piss me off or like make me upset. Uh, And so I was having that thought. Meanwhile, the singer in the band that we were in called up, because this is back when Nashville was a lot more free rolling, especially in the east side in the neighborhood that we live in. Uh, so the singer called a club owner, like a little bitty club owner, and we had a gig booked before we knew what was happening. And then we thought, oh, well, oh, crap, now we got to actually run this stuff. And <laughs> uh, and so we did. And I and people liked it and they asked us to come back and they kept asking us to do it like more and more often. And I feel like my whole process with his music has kind of been like, well, they keep liking it. I'll keep trying to like, you know, push myself and like make it interesting. And I feel like I've been pulled along by people who want to hear this stuff more so than I had like a, a vision for this awesome post Beatles, whatever approach to making music. <laughs> I, completely, I, I completely agree. I mean, we, we did this as a way for us to like enjoy the figure out a way to enjoy the holidays. Exactly. That's all we ever wanted to do. We just did it one time, just kind of as a lark, and then mm-hmm. people, you know, the the environment it creates is something that people want more of. They just do because of everything that's going on. They can walk in this room. They know they're going to hear this record. And they know nothing bad's going to happen, and it's just going to be okay. It's not going to yeah. be too saccharine. There's going to be high points. And there's going to be bittersweet. It's just, it's just resonated with people in a way we never even slightly anticipated. This was never supposed to be what it is right now. Yeah. Well, and the, I'll add to that too that um, 
I've always maintained that um, it's the suffering and pain that's in that music that people relate to, too. I mean, of course, it's like a children's record. But I don't know how recently you've like seen that television special, the Charlie Brown television special. But the first thing that happens, the very first dialogue in the children's special is Charlie Brown saying to Linus, it's Christmas time and I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? Yeah, uh, right. And it, everything comes from that. So I think that there's like a melancholy acknowledgement that the holidays are complicated, that is super sophisticated, both in the television special and in the jazz, in the music. And I think it's that combination of sweetness and acknowledgement yeah. of difficulty. There's, a, there's that, like an existential kind of thing about that thing, yeah. but ultimately it's optimistic and that's the magic. Exactly. Exactly. Because if it was just somebody whinging about Christmas, mm-hmm. it would it would get dull. But you know, the message is positive. It's just like Christmas isn't just shiny happy for everyone. You gotta right. figure out your way to get through this. Exactly. Yeah. I have to say I, I've I remember from pretty early on being very conscious of how melancholy it is. And I now have a, a six year old and we've started watching it. And just you know now, now with, with now with the child's eyes watching, I'm just like overwhelmed by how angsty it is, and that yeah, idea, and the fact is it. that it's a kind of that Charlie Brown's uh, Charlie Brown's anxiety about Christmas really is just kind of existential. I mean, while he can eventually right. point oh, his it. finger finger at you know at the commercialness of it and yeah. how the sense has lost to its a way, and the whole thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even then, you don't get the feeling that that's really it. That it's just he, you know, just kind of at a core sort of core level, he's not connecting, and he can't figure out why. And that's pretty. Of all the Char- of all the Charlie Browns, the Charlie Browniest. Yes. I mean, that's just his, his default. But it's a cool way to see somebody with that sensibility try to navigate through Christmas, and then ultimately find a way for it, you know, to work for for him and. You know, I yeah, you know, like I said, I think the ultimate message is a positive one, and I think a lot of people resonate with it because even when they're kids, they might not get that subtext. But um, I think it just, you know, I think they feel it, you know, on another level. One of the things I note is, at least in the one radio broadcast I listened to, that you don't do the vocal version of uh, of Christmas Time Is Here. 
early on when we were doing these shows, we tried a, a couple times to make a vocal version work, but I, I think that two things happened. The first was that I, I never felt that any grown-ups singing that song was as poignant as the children's choir that's on the original recording. But then also with the guest musicians that we had coming in, everybody wants to lap around and take one. Of, uh, like it's such a beautiful progression to play over that it's already like really long in the live show because everybody wants to mm -hmm. solo over it. So we kind of take it around the horn, you know, anyway. Yeah. So I just felt like it was a little too much to then again, try to like do it. Although I do love it uh, that they have kind of, both versions on the Garaldi record. It just seemed like a bit much for us. It's, we've never, I mean, I don't think we've ever simply ruled it out, but um, it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to get somebody together to sing Come All You Faithful because everybody kind of knows that. This one's a little, the lyrics are a little more, more obscure and trying to get that person every night for one song. Right. Yeah. Trickier. But I, I'm open to Somebody could come up this time and ask if they could do it. You know, I'd be up for it if it's the right person. Yeah, it is part yeah. of the beauty is with the, you know with the I've heard covers and I've got some good covers of it, but at the same time, nothing quite navigates the complexity of the song. You know, like with you know with its mood as the children's choir because I they agree. do cut yeah. through with with the, the the fairly innocent voice cutting okay. through such a self-conscious, such an aware sort of chord structure, it yeah. really feels like, you know, that the two, the, the two really hook up in a way that it changes when, a, when an adult sings it. I agree. And sure. also the choir is really flat. And I love yeah, yeah. the fact that the kids sing so flat. And, and no <laughs> they had to singer is going to sing flat like that. Yeah. Yeah, they had to fight for that because the original recordings they were trying to the choir director was trying to whip them into shape, and it was the producers who said, "No, we want them to sound like kids, just like you know the voices." I should point out nerdily too that Lee Mendelson, the guy who produced the special, actually wrote the lyrics to "Christmas Time Is Here" on the back of an envelope in 15 minutes when he found out that Garaldi didn't have it. It's insane. <laughs> Are some of these songs harder to play than others? Yes. For me, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. For different reasons. Skate, uh, skating is, well, for me, as it's from the drummer's perspective, and let's let's just admit straight out that this is a piano player's, you know, this is, a, this is all about the piano player. This is a piano jazz trio. So Jen is carrying the ball. She's the quarterback. No questions about it. But, um... For me, things like skating with the speed and things like that, those present challenges. The hardest one for me and is Christmas time because there's a lot of space. You want to make it right, and you want it to move. The tendency is to actually go slower than than it 
than it does for me because you just you're just so in it. But yeah, that that's the hardest one to not to be self indulgent with to me. Hmm. Play, it's funny you yeah. say those too, because those are exactly the same two I was going to mention for like pretty much the same reason, like skating for the technical part of it with all those like parallel thirds in the right hand for the piano. And uh, Christmas time, I find tricky. I, I agree with what you say about like you need to like not drag it, even though that's a tendency. But like for me, like soloing on that one and finding ways to cut up those big long beats in ways that are really interesting. Like, like finding the rhythmic uh, funkiness inside all of that room that you get. I mean, you, you get so much room to hang your, so much rope to hang yourself with, like on, oh, yeah. on that song, both uh, harmonically because of the changes and uh, I mean, all that half step stuff. I mean, you can, I mean, the, I, the best players that we have sit in with us, all of them have like at some point or another, like gotten twisted yeah. around with, with us. Ah, <laughs> it's ah, a tricky you. one, ah. you know, uh, but rhythmically too, for me, like uh, finding ways to like, yeah, cut up the, the the beat in ways that are not super square is is also a challenge. I was thinking about I was wondering about was Linus and Lucy because the gear change into kind of into the real swing sections feels really mm. abrupt and I mean in both in, in his version and, and I listened to yours and like that sounds like that's turning a hard corner fast if you listen to um, yes that is true um, it, it, does, it makes total sense when you when you know Garaldi wrote it, because if you listen to his other recordings, they do that all the time. They change times on a dime. They go into samba and back and forth to swing all the time. But making that, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself. Making that turn maybe the first couple of times was hard, but I don't know. It seems to swing pretty good now. Both of those both of those transitions that you talk about have like really clear piano uh cues into the new thing so as long as i do a good enough job of like setting that up we should be okay <laughs> uh, yeah if you listen I, to the recording like before the swing time Garaldi hits two hard quarter notes yeah it, even those two notes swing you can hear them swing he goes bah, bah. the back one is just slightly behind the other exactly and everybody's in yeah, and it's a similar thing that happens before the bosses section too, where it's bonk, go bonk, dun, you know. And then yeah. if I play that in time, then we should be good. But yeah. you know what I find difficult about that is the weight of like childhood piano lessons for me and everybody in the room that's listening, because you know I, I don't know if it's still the case, but like growing up in the '70s and '80s, like 
you couldn't even take piano lessons for like a couple of years before you were going to demand that you learn the Snoopy song, as we called it. <laughs> then, <you know? laughs> and so like the fact that I've been playing that song since I was a small child makes me nervous that I'm going to still mess it up <laughs> like all these decades later. <laughs> I, like there's just more baggage with that one, maybe. than some Oh, that's others. great. ever been tempted to make the show make the show bigger and sort of add in more christmas songs we we have for different reasons um uh i think we're i think maybe without saying it out loud we've all kind of got to this point where we realize every time we try to make something it's it's bigger it makes it less you know we've done Shows where you know we try. I mean, in the early days, another club wanted to have the special showing behind us, you know, with the sound off. Well, it's just really kind of a distraction. Everybody's just staring at the screen, and and I don't know. It just didn't really seem to 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 work. And then we had one where we had openers and a a brass choir, really beautiful brass choir from Legend Sounds from Vanderbilt, and. We had a, another opener before, and then we had our buddy from our buddy Soup from Ozark Mountain Daredevil. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Come out and he was a, he's dressed as Santa and did like you know, uh, like a rockabilly Santa run, 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 <laughs> And at the end of it, like it was it was cool, but it also notes like you know, I know it might seem silly, but I do like to kind of think about what that show was about, you know, when we're trying to navigate how we're going yeah. to present this thing and it, it just felt like a like a 70s summer replacement variety show or something it's not that it was bad it's like i really enjoyed it at the time but we've obviously never done it again and i think partially it was part a of lot it, of work kind of like a lot of work and it's just man there's just something to be said about walking in a room and here's this band and they're going to play this thing while you hang out with your family and it's instrumental. So, you know, if there's a little chit chat, it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, and uh, it's just, we're creating an environment. And that's yeah. what I think is the thing we have to keep in mind when we're trying to do this is we try to keep an environment that's, that's conducive to that. And it's very hard to bring anything else in that's going to not just disturb it. I, I totally agree. And on a prosaic level, I don't have children, but my friends who do have children tell me that 45 minutes to an hour is about the attention span limit of like children who are going to come to a concert anyway. So I think it works well. Like it's, it's important to me. And I think to the other guys in the band too, that it always remain like a, a show that you can, 
bring children to in any environment. Uh, and, and so the fact that it, the time frame works good for kids uh, works good for me too. We do a show at the Belcourt in here in Nestler here at 10 a.m. show. And uh, there's there's what we call the kids' mosh pit that forms ah, yeah. ah, <laughs> ah, ah, the base ah. of that stage. And it's something to be seen, you know. Mm-hmm. 30 or 40 kids going nuts, especially when Linus and Lucy come back. Or, and then, you know, yep. Belcourt, so the parents get a little break. They're, they're sitting in the dark back there. There might be a couple of glasses of wine back there, you know, just trying to relax for a minute but uh it, it's funny it that can. you say that it's like it's kind of a time out you know it's kind of a time out for yeah for yeah exactly exactly right and it's funny that you say that today because i was at a birthday party last night and somebody at the party asked me uh what the deal was with the ornaments this year because he wanted to make sure that he got the the tickets and everything and somebody else was was asking about it because uh, they didn't know about it and um, I was talking about how, like, we were on this, we were playing at the Bell Court once, like, a couple of years ago, and it was the first year that the parents really let the children come and, like, rush downstage, and they were going yeah. berserk, you know, because, like, the, like, they truly, like, like probably 50 children just, like, just expressing themselves, leaping around, like, however it was. It was, like, chaotic. And, full, full of and Christmas it, candy. It, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> jacked up, and Santa Claus is coming, and it was... And I looked down at them, and all of a sudden, a thought occurred to me. I was like, "We're like the Grateful Dead right now for children. <laughs> like, where, where, like, what is happening in the audience is more important than what's going on on stage." And I was right. so happy to be a part of that. I was like, "Oh, right. So we are like the backdrop for the parents to have a yeah. break, the backdrop for the children to like have their maybe first experience at a concert, just like letting it all hang out, you know." Especially and in I was, theater. Yeah, exactly. In a in a cool theater. Yeah. 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 Well, and I would also imagine at, at some point at some point I imagine you became conscious that you have become part of a lot of people's Christmas tradition. Yeah, I was just about to mention that is, you know, these kids that we see now, some of them are 13 years old. Some some of them are, the first, you know, they 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 showed up the first time in one of those baby carriages. They don't really know of a Christmas without coming to this. There are people who have met at our shows who now have children. You know, it's 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 kind of a weighty thing. When well, and people tell us, tell tell me anyway. Oh, yeah. Like you cannot, you you have to keep doing this. This is the only thing right. I know to do with my parents when they come to town <laughs> that everybody can agree on or whatever. You know. Uh, I mean, they're they're half joking, I think, but um, it is it's a very, heavy thing. It's, it's a very humbling. heavy thing. It's hum- yeah, it's humbling and it's and it's it's honoring and it's a little bit scary because I, you know, to, to realize that you factor in that much into other people's lives yeah. is it can be it can be a little unnerving. I mean, because you really you don't want to let them down. I mean, I don't. I'm sure y'all experience this. Where you might be the entertainment, but you're also now, you know, you're part of something bigger, and that you're now yeah, yeah. part of tradition, and you're now sort of, you know, and you know, you're very connected to this community of people who are all super into this, whether you know them by name or not. Absolutely, and that's the thing is you, that you know, in hindsight, what, what I don't think you can know unless you've actually, you know, 
decided to move into something like this, whether by accident or however, is that you're moving into, a, if, if, you know, not in the religious sense, but a sacred time for a lot of people. And when you become part of that, you, you become part of it. You know, we have to be very careful about anything we introduce, because if you do something one time, that all of a sudden that's tradition, you know. That has, you know, people go, why wasn't that? Didn't that happen in Michigan? Because you did that thing. So you, yeah. you have to think more carefully. Like, that we have, we do this thing, but it's sporadic. So that's good. We've managed to figure this out where occasionally we have somebody read the night before Christmas between between our shows. And we've had, like, Chuck, Chuck Mead's done it in a nightcap. Ah, and, ah, uh, ah. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Kinney from Driving Crimes has done it, which is like another surreal, awesome moment. But you know, because that he, one he didn't real... mention they they do like a beatnik like oh, yeah, we do a jazz beatnik. bow accompaniment to it. Oh great! Kevin, Kevin is just Kevin's a poet at heart, and he just yeah. killed it. He just killed it. Yeah. But uh, that happens randomly. We've been able to keep that random, but for the most part, when you introduce something, they're they want it. That's like remember that. That's like it's like the family. You know, Christmas decoration ornament that that you've had for yeah. six years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's I gotta it, say, for me, like, just, yeah. I, I, uh, for me, like, the North Star has always been like, uh, you know, the memory of my dad. You know, and and that has been like the thing that has kept me totally 100% like first of all emotionally honest about like what's going on here and why we're doing it and what it's all about and what it might mean uh to a person because everyone has loss and those losses uh get uh more raw you know in the holidays too so I I personally find it pretty easy to stay uh truthful I guess in the way that I approach this music and and I think we're not like I used to have a lot of anxiety about uh like quote unquote real jazz musicians coming to our show and, <laughs> and, and 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 judging on us and but the thing that makes me feel I guess okay about it has to do with like what you described with your caroling tradition. It's not about like whether you're all like the best singers in the world. It's about a community event. And if I know that my intention is you know where I need it to be, and is uh, you know I'm not trying to. I've never said that I'm the most awesome, you know, player in 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 town or whatever. Uh, but I know that I know that I'm being. Uh, I know that I know what I, my intentions are, and I'm comfortable with that. You know, so that that yeah. is, that 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 helps me uh, know how. I know to every one of us is doing the best we can every single. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with it. <laughs> yeah.
y'all into? Were you into Christmas music growing up? I I definitely was. Mm-hmm. My dad was a minister, and I've sang in choirs and played in church a lot. So all of those. Actually, I we forgot about we forgot to tell him about Christmas Carol Roulette. Speaking of church music, so oh, yeah, one right. of the <laughs> one of the things that we do in the middle of a song, like like literally like in the middle of one of the piano solos, I don't know what happened, but like one year, uh, it spontaneously turned into a game that we now call Christmas Carol Roulette, which um, comes from my upbringing playing and singing all of the Christmas carols in church in like a Lutheran church in the midwest um but it consists of me playing any christmas carol or christmas song that i can think of on the fly uh not telling the guy ahead any of the guys in the band like ahead of time what song it's going to be and then like seeing if they can catch on as quickly as possible and we can make something of it like and that to me that's one of the most fun parts of the show really like every time because now that our guest artists kind of are, understand because it always crashes and burns. So basically, I just launch oh, no. into, to, uh, you know, God rest you, Mary Gentleman, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or anything that comes into my Holly head. Holly and the Ivy. Holly and the Ivy. You know, sometimes we'll get obscure with it, and and then we'll toss it over to... Charlie McCoy was actually the first uh, soloist that we had who wanted to join in on Christmas Carol Roulette, and of course he kicked all of our butts. Like, Charlie just, McCoy. Because like, like, he's Charlie uh, McCoy. Uh, uh. So... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we came up with a lot of Christmas music, of course, and plus we were child, children of the, like the seventies and eighties, and so all of those like Rankin and Bass, uh, you know, claymation type or whatever those things are called. Oh, yeah, those specials were all like a really big deal. So we had all the, you know, I'm Mr. Heat Miser and all the, you know, Year Without a Santa Claus kind of stuff piled on top of it. Mm-hmm. I gotta say. That's the that's the back edge of 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 my uh, sort of childhood Christmas stuff that that <laughs> but clear but you know that that last year my daughter watched uh, Rudolph three times yeah so yeah Rudolph's amazing yeah so Rudolph is amazing and you know Santa Claus is kind of a jerk and so is his dad like they're kind of like prejudiced and in it, it's yeah I it, mean it, yeah absolutely but if you get past the questionable character development (laughs) the message message is basically like you know misfits are okay too they have a place that's right it's gonna be okay they got their place i'll never i'll never forgive that coach i gotta say two pieces that one of which is my daughter picked up that santa's a jerk which i found really fascinating and it took me Mm. so long to get anything out of that except the horror of uh of them pulling the teeth on the abominable snowman. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, that, I found yeah, that, that really, that. really disturbing. That's kind of, that's, that's rough. Yeah, and it's completely unnecessary. I think they could have talked it out with them. They could have talked it out. Thanks to Jen and Martin. Now, for another take on Charlie Brown Christmas, we'll go to Joel Dinnerstein and talk about where the album falls on the cool-uncool spectrum.
the Charlie Brown Christmas songs actually exist in a special zone. That they are certainly neither cool nor uncool. That they are transcendent, not in a religious or moral way. They are simultaneously melodic and sometimes beautiful. They signify winter. If you grew up in a place where there was winter, in ways I don't understand musically, they sound like winter. I mean, White Christmas does too. But it sounds like snow, and I don't know if that's my social conditioning from watching them. There are lots of jazz musicians who love these tunes, but not only this tune, but Skating and Linus and Lucy. Um, I just think that what they did was capture a certain feeling about winter more than Christmas that was simultaneously sort of relaxing and peaceful in its own way. Spiritual is kind of a terrible word, but it's not. It's Christmas in the best sense of what you would want if you really loved your family and you wanted to spend the day with them, you know, either like going outside a little bit and coming back in and taking a walk. And I just, I don't know how else I've obviously, they should be cliches, but they never sound like cliches to me. Um, I love that jazz musicians like playing them. I mean, Bella Fleck did a great version of a couple of those tunes Skating really does sound like being at the skating rink. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that happens either. Um, so I don't, these are just like, they exist in their own special zone. And I don't even know how to evaluate them beyond that they appreciate they exist in our world. You know, the two things I think are really interesting, one of which is having children's vocals. That you, oh, something you, something that, something that nice. really is rare yeah. and to have the stacked yeah. children's vocals. Yeah gives you this really odd vocal texture. Um, and because they're stacked, that you don't get a very nuanced vocal. And I think that's by itself really interesting. And I think because it's minor key and because it is so wintry that I, I, that I feel very much like it's a part of Christmas, but it feels very much like the end of a Christmas for me. Oh, it's it like the winter break yeah, songs. Yeah, that it feels that, you know, because... It does come with it does come with a with a with a, a side of darkness, and uh, and a side of melancholy that's pretty hardwired. Yeah, but that's why they sound like they're relaxing songs. Like they're beautiful, simple. That's a beautiful, simple melody, right? Which are very hard to write, and so that's why it kind of transcends. But in the same way that there are things that sound like the beach and the summer, and it's why we play them as summer songs, not just the Beach Boys, not what the content is, right? There are songs that sound like winter, and those really do, and the fact that they come with what was a new mythology, right? The Charlie Brown. It should have been then, and it should certainly be by now, cliche, sentimental, simple nostalgia, and in ways that I hate to use this word, they're really timeless, they are. Yeah. And, you know, Hats off to him. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, what he does, that this kind of very tweety, sort of university jazz, uh, <laughs> is, you know, ha is, is now horribly dated. Right. And so many, and, and except for, like, aside from, like, a handful of Brubeck compositions, so right. much Brubeck now sounds very much frozen in its moment. And this is that kind of thing, but it doesn't sound nearly as... as Right. As sort of calcified. I don't know if it would be as effective if it, we didn't have all the associations. 
Christmas, winter, Charlie Brown, all of it. I, we don't know. Sure. We'll never know. Sure. And in that sense, if you separate them and say, okay, this was a jazz album or by Vince Guaraldi Trio in 1965, what do you think? It's hard to know what we would think. But I generally agree with you that we would just say, well, that was like really sort of like college tweety cocktail right. um, improvisation, right, with no, not a lot of risk, not a lot at stake. Right, right, sure. But because it's attached to all the other stuff and because it is still a beautiful, simple melody and the way that um, skating is a really sort of simple, um, propulsive rhythm, like not too propulsive, just enough to be skating, um, I think that they transcended, and, you know, that's, but you're right. That's the, that's the genre it's in. And yet I don't hear it that way. I don't hear it as Brubeck. Right. Right. Um, and I like, you know, a certain amount of Brubeck for sure. Yeah. So, but I don't hear it that way, even though you're right to draw our attention to that. That is the genre. Yeah. Thanks to Joel, Jen, and Martin for the time and the talk. I also today want to thank listener Raymond Martin, who checked in via Facebook Messenger to talk a little Christmas music shop, swap songs, and pass along an amazing Christmas playlist that he posted on Google Play. It's 377 songs long and can easily be the soundtrack for the whole holiday season. And it includes new songs, that, uh, including tracks from Keb Moe's recently released Moonlight, Mistletoe, and You, an album I will talk about in upcoming weeks, and songs by artists that I've talked to here on 12 Songs, including J.D. McPherson, Panorama Jazz Band, Delicate Steve, Loose Cattle, and Rodney Crowell. I've posted a link to Raymond's playlist in the show notes, and he's inspired me to enter the Holiday Music Playlist Derby as well. I'll have one up soon. And if you have one you're proud of and want to share, or you want to make one and share it, let me know. One of my theories about Christmas music is that the reason people dump on it is because they only hear a small number of very familiar songs, and that familiarity leads to exhaustion. Give people fresh, cool Christmas music that they haven't worn out yet, and they get what the fun's about. I'd love for 12 Songs to become an outpost where Christmas music fans can share their finds and favorite playlists. Then we can share those with others and help people hear what we hear in Christmas music. You can find me at 12 Songs of Christmas on Facebook. You can also find Joel Dinnerstein there, and that's Dinnerstein with one N, where you can talk about notions of cool and uncool, Christmas music or otherwise. And you can find The Ornaments also on Facebook as The Ornaments. Thanks, as always, to New Orleans AF The Naysayer for our theme music and to you for listening. I'll wrap up today by returning to Vince Guaraldi and the soundtrack to A Charlie Brown Christmas for one last track. This is his version of The Christmas Song. Talk to you next week.